Hey guys, this is Steph. And on today's episode of the Steph Up Podcast, we will be talking about deconstruction and faith. If you've listened to any of my previous episodes, you know that I discuss growing up in the conservative, fundamentalist Christian background environment, otherwise known as evangelicals. We, we are evangelicals. We were. That term has taken on a whole new meaning lately. And a lot of people don't want to be associated with that term, as you've also heard me mention. Well, my special guest today is Tim Whitaker from a group called the New Evangelicals, a group that has also started to dig into their past and understand things and see from different lenses and different points of view and observing scripture in different ways. And they are a group of people who are deconstructing their faith. I was very excited to speak with Tim as we discuss our backgrounds. We grew up very similar and we talk about evangelicals and politics and social issues and a lot of the things that we were raised to believe that we are now challenging some of those beliefs. As you know, I'm still trying to figure things out as I go and as I learn and I'm an oral processor, so I talk things out. So even if I don't make any sense or I say things that are not necessarily true because I don't know it yet or I'm just, I have a, a little bit of understanding, but I don't have a full understanding, please be patient with me. <laughs> and But listen to Tim because Tim is very knowledgeable and he reads a lot and he talks to so many different people on his podcast and I really appreciate that he took the time to sit down and talk with me. So here's our podcast episode on deconstruction. Welcome to the Stuff Up podcast, where we delve into different topics to learn more about ourselves and more about others. And on the podcast today, I welcome Tim Whitaker from the New Evangelicals. Hello. Thank you for coming on, Tim. I'm so excited to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So I found you, actually, it was through other people who were posting your posts on Instagram. And oh. I kept sharing them. And I'm like, this is fantastic. And then I found out there was a Facebook group. So I joined it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then your podcast, I've, I've been binging. And I find that the community is so helpful to talk through a lot of our religious questions, what we're going through, what we grew up in. Sure. And it's mostly, the New Evangelicals is mostly about, is it mostly about deconstructing our faith and then restructuring it? Um, to be honest, that wasn't the intent when I started it. In fact, our one year anniversary is December 1st of this year. That'll, that'll be one year when I launched new evangelicals on Instagram. And I watched the video back recently that I, I posted like a five minute video. That really wasn't my like major intent. My, my major thing was, Hey, um, I'm committed to Jesus. I know a lot of us are, and we're really struggling with the evangelical church and culture that we've been raised in and we shouldn't have to, <laughs> and we need to start looking open and on, openly and honestly 
about the problems in our church that people are minimizing at best and sweeping under the rug at worst. So that was what started it. Then I really discovered the world of deconstruction and that really deconstruction, we'll get into this. It just helped put up maybe um, a framework on what we were doing, but the way I describe it now, mostly Yeah, we use deconstruction as a term sometimes, but what I say is a lot of us, a lot of the people in my community um, are simply coming out of the basement of evangelicalism for the first time and realizing that there's an entire house called Christianity that has tons of doors and and nooks and crannies, right, and closets that we've never been allowed or never were aware of were, were there, and we're starting to open these doors. And what we're finding is that as we're doing that, the door behind us is being closed. Uh, and people are saying, well, you're just too far gone. But in reality, like we're a lot of us are still inside the house. And also, we're also realizing that in this neighborhood, there are other houses that we didn't even know that, that maybe we, we were told you can't visit them. And we're knocking on the doors just to explore. So that's the best way I can think of it in this moment. That's like the best analogy I have that kind of encapsulates all that we're trying to do. Mm. So for people who don't know, um, how would you define deconstruction? <laughs> yeah. I mean, so the way, again, the way I describe it is saying or asking what is deconstruction is like asking, well, what is music? Well, which part of music, right? We're talking about genres, instruments, instrumentation, songwriting, and I'm a musician. So I, I, that's kind of my analogy for it. So the term deconstruction is a very big, broad term. People use it in all different kinds of ways. And we, we certainly are not claiming to have the definition of deconstruction or the corner on it for our community, for new evangelicals. The way I tend to use deconstruction is it's simply looking at things, looking at, 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 Uh, quote unquote truths or statements that we were taught were absolutely true and asking, well, are they absolutely true? And if they're not, what do we do with that? So it's really taking things that we were taught as, you know, normal. Hey, when you die, if you don't pray a prayer, you're going to burn in hell forever. That's absolutely true. And we go, okay, is that absolutely true? Like, is it actually an absolute fact or is there, is it flexible or is it even true at all? That's what deconstruction is for our context. Okay. And then there's different levels. Like I remember when I would see before I started on this journey of questioning, or I guess I've always been on this journey, but yeah, never knew it. Um, sure. Sure. thought I was always backsliding. <laughs> uh-huh. <Exactly>. Uh, <laughs> you big liberal Christian. <laughs> liberal, even liberal. Um, and so the when I would see the term ex-evangelical, I'm like, oh, mm. they're no longer Christian. That's so bad. Yeah. yeah. And it yeah. wasn't actually until recently because I was trying to figure out this because I did not like the term evangelical because of what it represents. Yep. And I've talked to other Christians who also say the same thing. And I'm like, but then what are we called? I don't know. And so um, it wasn't until the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill mm. podcast where Mike Cosper was explaining Exvangelical could mean people who leave the faith altogether. It could mean people who are just questioning. It could mean they don't like the term evangelical. It could mean different things. And so we kind of, like we do, we put labels on it. Exvangelical means one thing, right? Yeah. yeah. And so I think that was very helpful for me because I do not want to be associated with the evangelical term anymore. Yeah. I mean, that that's a really fair statement. There's a reason why 
millions of us are leaving evangelical spaces. And I think it's important for the audience and for us in our conversation to realize that um, deconstruction can look different for different people. Some people say, you know what? The whole theist thing, the whole God thing, it's not for me. I'm out. And we go, okay, yeah, you know, it's not my life to critique. It's not my life to control, right? You have autonomy as a human to make those decisions. Um, For new evangelicals, and I think for a lot of people, a lot of us are like, well, I read the Sermon on the Mount. I read about Jesus's commitment to the poor and oppressed and to, you know, loving your enemies. I'm just so drawn to this more beautiful way of living that helps to stop the cycle of chaos that I still want to be a part of that. But the label I've been given the evangelical culture I've been a part of is, is really, is really branching farther and farther away from those things, especially politically. And we can get into all that. I'll talk about that forever. That's (laughs) maybe one of my, my biggest passion points with this. Um, And so, so a lot of people, I I think what, what I'm trying to say is, in our society, we're such an, an, an either or society. Either you're a Christian or you're an atheist. Either you're an evangelical or you're just a heretic, right? Yeah. And what a lot of us are saying is actually that's not healthy at all. There's really a wide spectrum of this stuff. And evangelical is simply one room in Christian thought. In fact, I would argue it's really a newer room. It's really an addition <laughs> that, that was put on with no permits, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? It wasn't really built that great, but here we are. So, so the problem is that when you go, when you grow up in this, right, when, like for me, for example, right, I was homeschooled for nine years. I was part of a small private school. I grew up in very, what, what we would call reformed or fundamentalist circles. And they disagree on some things, but Think John MacArthur for any of your people out there, you know, think about John MacArthur. That's how I kind of grew up. Um, And so when you're taught from, you know, age one to your whole life that, that, that this is the absolute truth. This is what it means to be a Christian is you have this view of, of the death and resurrection. You have this view of the afterlife. You have this view of the end times. You have this view of, 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 of sexuality. It's easy and it makes sense that if you leave those things, you would think, well, I'm no longer a Christian. But really what you're saying is, no, 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 I'm no longer a fundamentalist. I'm no longer a conservative evangelical. That doesn't mean that that, that you have to leave the Christian label or even in some ways the evangelical label in some ways. And we can get into that later on, too. So that's simply what, what, what my account is doing, right? Or, or I should really say what our community is doing. Because we're way more than just an Instagram account at this point. You know, there's way more happening. But that's what we're offering people is a way of saying, hey, if you want, and it's totally up to you, this is their decision, you know, whatever they want to do. But if they want to stay in the Christian faith and maybe explore all new kinds of theologies and perspectives that they were never exposed to, man, hop in. The water is warm. It is deep. There is plenty to explore that is beautiful. And so that's what we're doing as new evangelicals. Amazing. And it's a safe space. I mean, the people are so gracious and kind, which is such a change from how I grew up where you fight online with people and you just get upset and talk at them. And, you know, I thought it was just me. Well, I don't know, because my dad's pretty intense. Um, But then I'm talking to other people and they're like, oh, yeah, my parents are this way and that way. And this is how we grew up. And uh, I get, yeah, it's, it's so hard to explain, but also, uh, and, and then I find, I don't know about you, but I always find like, I have to say, it's not all Christians. 
but this is what we we've been growing up with this is what we know this is what the world has seen and so it's just like but it's not all because i know some amazing people who just love god and love people Yes. And and that's what, so two things on that. Number one, yeah. Um, the, the, the culture that we're trying to create, the people are amazing. You know, it's not because of me, they're just great people. And it's, it takes work, right? Online can be tricky. Um, one of our core values as new evangelicals, and we don't do this perfectly. Okay. Including myself is that we really don't want to dehumanize other people, even people that we really strongly vehemently disagree with. I mean, you know, Donald Trump's an easy, an easy, you know, example of this, right? How do we critique someone like Donald Trump without participating in, in, in that cycle of dehumanization? Because Donald Trump dehumanizes people, right? We don't want to become fundamentalists all over again, just, just with, with, with new language. We want to help stop the cycle of dehumanization. So, even you know on our Facebook, one of our rules is if you want to come in and if you vent about something or someone, I get that. But as soon as you start calling them names, as, start, as soon as you start dehumanizing their worth as a human being, it's it, it, it's a no no. Even if what they did was, was was reprehensible to you, we just can't dehumanize people, and that's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying we do it perfectly, but that's a core value of ours. And to your second point about the parent thing, you know. My parents are amazing people. They're involved in our life. They're great grandparents um, um, to, to, to my son. They're, they're giving, they're loving. My dad worked incredibly hard um, uh, in, in construction for himself to provide well for, for us. We grew up with, with nothing in want ever. My parents were generous. My, my dad's help paid mortgages for people. My, 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 my mom is, is the, oh, I'll be right there to help you kind of person, right? Yet... Yet I grew up on talk radio, right? That's that's Sean Hannity, Rush Limbaugh. And my dad was at the insurrection on January 6th. He was at really? the protest. Now he wasn't in, he says he wasn't involved. He wasn't inside anything, but he was there when the protest happened and he was in the general area to wow. go protest the election. And I always wonder like, how do these two things coincide? My dad is a good human who literally, this is so weird, but my dad, when we, when we were, when we were, were working in like corporate spaces in construction, right? You know, we're doing sheetrock, whatever it is. My dad would have Sean Hannity on, who's talking about how the immigration crisis is horrible and how we, we have to close the borders and how illegal, you know, immigrants, aka Mexican folks, are stealing our jobs, right? So, on one hand, he's listening to this. On the other hand, he is intentionally learning Spanish to talk to the cleaners in 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 the in the building to get to know them. And I'm Aww. like, I don't understand how these things work like how do they work so i certainly can empathize with those of us who have parents who are good people yet have such an unhealthy and dehumanizing political worldview labeled christian it it truly blows me away Hmm. that's that's interesting so was your dad scared when he was there? I would have been terrified. I, we don't talk about it. I don't oh. engage politics with, with, with my dad um, for sake of both our relationship. I don't think he was. I think that, you know, my dad's a good example of what 30 years of talk radio does to your brain. Because he wasn't always like this, right? Mm-hmm. But when you have that on day in and day out and you have those people in your ear pushing a super specific narrative that really is steeped in white supremacy. They'll never say that, but that, that's exactly what it is. Um, it, it does something to you. It changes how you view people, how you view the culture, how, how imminent you think danger is. And I think my dad is swept up in that, honestly, and thinks that any day, you know, um, 
um, communism is, is going to come knocking on our door and kick down, you know, my dad's door and take his Bible and guns. And my dad's ready for war pretty much. Right. And a lot of white men in that age group and even younger, my age as well, are ready for that. And it's, it's mind blowing to me. Yeah. I, I, my dad's the same. He listens and it's actually gotten worse as he listens more and more yeah. to the same people. And it, I find it really funny because I actually, I attended a Christian university and I took philosophy. Mm. And I went there to take psychology and I switched. And I remember my dad, I was, I was like 30. So I'm like, I'm a grown up. I can <laughs> right. make my own decisions. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which, yeah, a lot of it can be about power and control and how they want you to view exactly how they view. Right. Um, but he was concerned that I would take philosophy because in the 70s, he took philosophy and they were comparing Christianity to an LSD trip. So in his mind, he's like, you shouldn't take philosophy because they're going to make you unchristian. I'm like, I'm literally at a Christian university. I think it'll be fine. But <laughs> but it was so funny because he talks about critical thinking all the time. And yet he only ever listens to the one side that continuously confirm his bias. And so when I started questioning and I was like, wait, why is so-and-so saying this? Um, especially like, okay, the, the catalyst for me was Donald Trump and then George Floyd dying. Oh yeah. That for me was like, why, why do we, I'm hearing people say racism is real, like systemic racism. I'm like, and they're saying white supremacy. And I'm like, I don't understand. I want to. So I started reading other books Yeah, and then I'm like, oh, this is how I learn by reading from other point of views. Yeah. My dad will only ever listen to Candace Owens. Well, she's a black yep. woman. Yep. Okay. Uh. <laughs> right. Yep. And so it's just very interesting. Um, and, and I think the sad thing is you can't dialogue. I would love to dialogue, but he he gets so upset. Right. And he talks at me and he won't listen. And anything I say that challenges what he's heard is the evil liberal media. And I'm like, but I'm literally trying to get the other point of view. Well, that and when all you know is talking points, once you refute a talking point, what else is there but but, but frustration, right? Because if you, don't forget, I mean, Charlie Kirk, Ben Shapiro, they're they're not giving deep analysis. They're just giving, they're doing the quote unquote research. They're taking the sound bites that they want. They're taking the information that they want. They're giving people what to believe, right? So once you come against that and say, actually, dad, Critical race theory is a legal study that's been around for 45 years and is not taught widely in high schools, if at all. In fact, I don't think it is at all. And he goes, and then in his mind, he goes, well, that, that doesn't compute with, with what Charlie Kirk told me, but I have no proof. I can't prove that to you. I can't say, no, no, no. This school in this state is, is actually teaching the legal study of CRT. They can't do that because it doesn't exist, right? So what's left behind that? Just emotion, just frustration. And I can't blame them for that because they've been sold a false bill of goods. It's it's not it's not an accurate version of so many things. So I I get that and I it makes sense. Well, and it's interesting too because when I don't even say anything as as absolute truth because I'm hearing different things and honestly I don't know what to believe half the time. Sure. Um, and it is complicated. I mean, I listen to the pantsuit politics. Do you know that Mm-mm. podcast? No. Um, two women in the states who um are lawyers and they get involved in politics and they discuss these things, but they study legislation and whatever. Like 
it's beyond me. So I listen to them and they explain these things. Um, and so they, they'll kind of go into further and I'm like, oh, it's so much more complicated. Yeah. And I think you were talking to, can't remember who it was now, but you were talking about critical race theory mm. and saying it was this like legal in legal terms and it was only studied by PhDs and stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it started in university. It's been in university up until, you know, um, a year ago when Fox News started blowing it up intentionally. Right. And then we've got this simplified version of what we think it is, but we don't fully grasp it because it's comp- like it's very well, a lot that, to learn. Well, it, it's that and also it's been twisted. Like CRT has become the new buzzword for anything anti-racist. Anti-racism right. work and CRT are not the same thing. A good example of this is the author Ibram Kendi, who's pretty well known at this point for some of his work. And he wrote the book, How to Be Anti-Racist. He really focuses on anti-racist work. CRT and anti-racism don't always agree on the solutions uh, or even or even sometimes all the problems. And Kendi has said he's not a CRT scholar or even proponent, but that won't stop Charlie Kirk from saying, no, 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 Ibram Kendi's a CRT guy. When Ibram's like, no, no, I'm not. To put it in perspective, it's almost like this. It's like if I was a self-identified Pentecostal, right, and you're a Baptist, right, and someone's saying, hey, they are the same exact thing. It's like, yeah. well... I guess technically we're both Christian, but we have some fundamental differences in how we view some major theological perspectives that have caused us to have our own denominational, you know, homes. So, so yes, could someone say, oh, this is dealing with racism? Yeah. Okay. But as far as their approach, their, their quote unquote theology, right. To use that term, very different, very different, but that won't stop Tucker Carlson, Charlie Kirk, whoever from saying, no, 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 it's all the same. And that's the problem. There's no nuance. There's no understanding. And I, again, I want to emphasize, I know we, we didn't plan on going here. I'm, I'm no expert, but from everything I've read and who I've interviewed, it's very evident that CRT to be very clear is simply a legal theory. It's a legal study built in legal circles. That's all it is. So if you hear CRT being used outside of that, whatever they're talking about is not CRT. I'm all done. <laughs> you read, you read a lot. I don't know how you keep up with everything. It's, it's a lot. Um, I, I just transitioned to doing this full time um, this week, actually. So, you know, well, the week that we're recording this and that's been a really a big, um, big, big help to, to read more, listen more. Um, it's a lot, but I also enjoy it. I really enjoy it. Um, I enjoy doing this work. I enjoy learning, especially about hot, to- uh, hot topics, you know, especially things like, you know, you hear a lot of buzzwords, right? Cultural Marxism. Well, what is that? All it takes is a few, like maybe an hour worth of reading to realize like, oh, this isn't even a thing. <laughs> so it's just interesting to see how that kind of all plays out. Oh my goodness. Well, actually, um, well, like I said, I'm, I'm in Canada right. and I guess. See, socialism, people talk about it all the time. I've tried Googling. Like I, I try to understand, and maybe I was trying to do this when I had bad anxiety and my brain wouldn't work, mm. um, which has always been a problem for me. But I guess we're considered socialists because we have free health care. And my friend who's American, I remember years ago, I asked her, like, what, why do you guys hate socialism so much? Like, what is, and she goes, to us, it's the same thing as communism. And I was like, but it's different, right? And then I i don't know, I didn't really question. But then recently I was hearing, and I don't know if it was your podcast or different ones, where they were saying it's because of the generations before that were so 
afraid of communism and with the Cold War, everything was communist, that now anything that challenges capitalism, they consider communism. Yeah. A lot yeah. of people anyways. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, that's why I get confused because depending on who you talk to, they think it's the same. I'm like, what? Well, the reality is, I mean, communism, socialism, capitalism, these isms, they're mainly economic ways of running a society. And you, and again, this is not my expertise. This is not really what I'm even still talking about. But from my light reading and you know, looking into this, they're all very different. But also, like the socialism claim is very interesting because in America we do have socialism for the ultra rich. I mean, socialism. One one of the big critiques, right, is that socialism is when the government interferes and gives government handouts and keeps and keeps people, you know, on 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 the states like dime, pretty much, right. So a common critique is we don't need more welfare programs for the poor because that, that will teach them not to work hard enough. They'll just stay lazy and, and mooch off the government. But no one really says that about, I don't know, Walmart who intentionally keeps wages low. So that way there are people go on the government, you know, healthcare system because they can't afford it or, or food stamps or mega corporations that receive billions in tax subsidies, or I don't know, in 2008, when our government bailed out major automotive industries and financial industries, they gave them money. And those people, what do they do? They paid their CEOs record bonuses. So we we certainly have a form of socialism. It's just for people who are making and for corporations, which are not even sentient beings, but we love doing that. So socialism, it's really, again, it's, it's another war that's, that, that's been weaponized to freak people out. And it is funny because in America, people really think think in America, you know, like, well, people who live in America think, oh my goodness, there's a far left and a far right in America. That is ridiculously untrue. We, we have a, we definitely, we definitely have a far right in America. You know, we've, we've seen that, but to put it in perspective for you, even the conservatives like in the UK love universal health care and fight for universal health care. Okay, the fact that universal health care is so debated by people in America shows you right away that we don't have this like really wide spectrum of, oh, there's this far left crazy types, then there's this far right. We're mostly a right leaning country. And to fight for anything that even looks like Universal healthcare, for example, is somehow labeled socialist. When in most of the free world, that's not even a thing. It's not even a debate. So I just think we need to, we need to realize that in America, um, even Joe Biden, he's he's a center right candidate candidate in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways. So it's not like we have some radical Marxism or cultural communists in the White House. It's it's just simply talk radio and the conservative media machine, which is very far right, uh, blowing up things out of proportion to convince people that there's this war. But in my view, it's it's not really that way at all. Well, that's the same here. Like we have universal health care and conservatives, like we would never I mean, you got your some people because our wait times are so long and people actually go to the U.S. But most none of us really are like, let's get rid of universal health care right. for a few. Right. So but just one thing on that, I because I agree with you, but I would say I think both sides politically do that where they they will say the other side's going to do like the scare tactics. I think they both kind of use that, although I've seen it more in the conservative side. Um but yeah. I, I think it's so this is the problem. Everything's so divisive. Like just you know what they're doing. It's manipulation, but it's like you're making things worse and you're putting pitting people against each other because yeah. you're scaring them into these things. Like even when when we had the the Syrian refugees, um, what year was that? Like two thousand and 
18 or something. Mm -hmm. And here, you know, the conservative side was like, they're going to come over and they're going to, they want to, they're Muslim and they're going to put in Sharia law and we're all going to be under Sharia law. And like the rest of us are freaking out if we believe that. And it's like, that's not even true. I mean, (laughs) right. it's created this fear of let's not help these people because they're going to make us all Muslim. Yeah. Did you guys have the same kind of? Yes. Yes. Their names are Charlie Kirk, Ben Shapiro. (laughs) I'm serious. Like, you know, I really think that a lot of people and and, and to your point, okay. um, Here's my perspective on that. And I, we all, we all have our own views, but we're all biased in certain ways. So I'm I'm certain, certainly not claiming to be this objective, you know, um, uh, here's just uh, hardcore facts. However, um, we need to keep in mind that it wasn't um, Obama or Joe Biden or who, even Bush, right, who's a conservative at the time, who was pushing a fraudulent election lie that caused an insurrection at our our Capitol building where people died, uh, and it was done in the name of a sitting president who pushed that narrative. That is what we're talking about here. So while certainly can can people say. AOC, right? She's a popular politician in the States. Um, You know, is she far left? Okay, yeah, maybe she is. Are some of her ideas, you know, maybe farther left than most, for sure. But she's not advocating for an overthrow of our government, right? And so we have to understand that, that in 2016, the rise of Trump was simply the fruit of seeds sown from the evangelical conservative movement over the past 25, 30 years. That's what it is. And we reaped the harvest that we sowed and it's violence, it's lies, it's propaganda. And frankly, it is remnant of fascism. It is. There's a great book on this. Uh, I'm forgetting the, the name, but I think it's something like How Fascism Works. It's a great read for anyone who wants to know. It is the Trump campaign and Trump playbook, almost almost line for line. And wow. so we have to understand that there's been such an assault. I mean, think about this. In 2016, what 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 uh, term do they coin? Alternative facts. Alternative facts. Who who make who does that? Right. You know, I, I think it was uh, Kellyanne Conway, Trump's one of Trump's advisors, and they're talking about. I think if I'm not mistaken, they were talking about, about the inauguration crowd size and, you know, Trump was like, Oh, it was the biggest in history. And a reporter tells Kellyanne, actually it wasn't. She goes, well, those are just alternative facts. I mean, that is, that, that is a way to pivot from what is real to creating a whole different narrative. And that's what led to the 26, uh, 2020 insurrection, right? Trump is pushing fraud, 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 fraud. I'm following Twitter in real time during our elections. Um, oh, we have bombshell news, ballots were found. None of it turned out to be true. None of it. It, it, it was made up nonsense that led to people armed with weapons storming our Capitol building. So I, while I do understand the perspective of both sides in this particular moment in American history, it is not really both sides. It is right. really one side that is out of control and they're using Christian language, Jesus language, Christian ethics or um, Christian ethics, quote unquote, uh, <laughs> to push something that is incredibly dangerous. And I can, you know, anyway, so I will stop there, but yes. Hey guys, I just wanted to take a minute here and say, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help support the podcast, you can subscribe, rate and review. It helps people to find it. If you also want to help support it financially, you can check out buymeacoffee.com backslash stuff up podcast. Thank you so much. I love you all. 
Well, it, actually, you know, what's interesting. And I think this is what bothers so many of us, even when we didn't fully understand it. Sure. Was we were always taught biblical truth. Yes. The Bible is true. And then I was in, I liked apologetics. I went to a lot of RZIM conferences. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 fun times. Um, and so, you know, it was always like truth matters. Yep. And that's what Christians always say. And yet, literally, it doesn't matter when it comes to <laughs> politics now with Donald Trump saying things. And like, that's right. Because they're, then they're just like, well, you know, they're only mad at him because he had an affair. Like, that's what that's what I've heard recently. I'm like, literally, that's not most of the presidents have affairs. Like, that's not why people don't like him. That is completely correct. I mean, we, we have to keep in mind, and I'm, you know, I'm not sure where your audience is. I'm not sure who's in the States, who's not. But for those of you who are not maybe stateside, you have to understand that when you grow up in a circle that pushes purity culture, right? Pushes morality, pushes um, truth, pushes don't curse, you don't lie, you don't look at pornography, right? You 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 get married to one person. And then when Bill Clinton has an affair in the White House, they go crazy about it. The evangelical institution writes a letter signed with like hundreds of people, evangelical leaders saying Clinton's not, not fit for office, right? And then you look at 2016, and all of a sudden, the, the same people who raised me as a child right? Family, friends, the people who taught me, you know, what sexuality is and how to have a quote unquote healthy version of it are suddenly voting for the guy who's on the cover of Playboy magazine, who slept with the porn star while his wife was pregnant and lied about it. Who's on his third marriage. Like he fits none of those categories, but what does he fit? Political power. He will give evangelicals political power. And that was a, such a breaking point for millions of us when we realized that terms like truth and purity, they're really just, they're really secondary to political power, to influence, and to really Christian nationalism. And that's when a lot of us, including me, I think you mentioned for yourself as well, Trump, you know, that that was a, a watershed moment of, oh, I think the faith that I thought I was a part of, I'm not sure if I'm still a part of this particular sect because they are, I mean, what's happening here is it's it's crazy town. It it is the it is the twilight zone what is happening so i'm with you all the way and it's true because i remember when clinton um had the affair with monica Lewinsky, and it was all he's bad he needs to um he was impeached Mm -hmm. he was impeached right and then nothing really happened i don't really understand impeachment because it's like nothing really happens what um yes (laughs) but but yeah you know and and it was all of us christians going he's bad he's bad and yet you're right I mean, now we're at the point where they don't really, that's not even a thing for them. And they're mad if you even bring it up. So it's like, what is happening? But I think that also comes to, and this is where I've just been so disappointed. And sure. and I, I know I have to keep, stop focusing on what other people are doing, but I think it's just such a, an anger in the Christian Christianity that we were raised up in where now we're seeing the leaders having affairs, but not just having affairs, literally assaulting women, raping them, manipulating them. And they don't, people don't care. People, when, when Ravi Zacharias, I was like, Ravi, you know, we were like, not Ravi, that could not be. It can be. Um, yes. But the online comments were so, I was so confused. And I'm like, well, because, and this is kind of in my background. 
in the purity culture where we're blaming the women still, right? I was yep. still kind of like, that's still in my mind. Like, well, yeah, you know, we're all sinners because we always say that kind of stuff, right? Right. And people were like, well, David sinned and, and he was a mighty man of God. And so, well, you know, Ravi's a mighty man of God and God used him. And why are these women coming forward after he dies? And it's like, you're literally not even understanding that they came forward before. Yep. And they were countersued. Like Lorianne Thompson was countersued. Yep. Uh, and so it doesn't matter to these people, right? Because people don't care anymore. You, 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 threw, you threw purity in our faces when we were younger. Yep. And now you're, you're still revering these men and putting them back in positions or not even caring that they're doing this. And I think that was just, it's confusing. Like you were saying, it's confusing confusing for us. It's confusing. It's aggravating. It's infuriating. Um, And it's, again, it just shows where values are, right? The values are not really about people. It's about right belief. And if you have enough, if you have a big audience and as long as you're doing that, God must be using you. You know, we've really taken, I would say, Western capitalist values of bigger, 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 more, 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 more people and, and attach them to church culture. So church culture value is how big can our church be? How many people can we reach? Uh, and if they are being reached, oh, well, you know, yeah, maybe this guy has assaulted some women or maybe he's kind of a dick, but, you know, it's okay because God's using him, right? We, we, just, we just excuse the behavior because look at the reach. Look at the type A personality that we have on the platform who can attract thousands of people uh, or even millions in some cases, right? And so when that happens, it, it, it makes sense why that would happen that way and why the sides would be taken that way. But it also unveils the values of Christian culture that really, again, look nothing like a risen Christ or even the teachings of Jesus and look much more like a corporation who has one objective protect itself at all costs. That's what they do. Corporations protect themselves. And that's what a lot of these, these big church leaders and their institutions do. They protect the thing around it. Only they, instead of a corporation saying our bottom line is more money, they mask it with, well, we're, we're, God's using us. We can't stop. God's using us. That's ridiculous. You know, God will use God will use people all throughout history, whether you're there or not. You know, if, 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 if Hillsong church disbands tomorrow, guess what? God is still going to work. <laughs> God is still going to move. You know, he doesn't need Hillsong Sunday morning events to do what, he, what, 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 what they need to do essentially. So I'm with right. you all the way on that. I, and actually that's what I heard. So the Hillsong pastor, Carl Lentz. Yeah. I, I don't know what I was listening to. I think it was the Bible bench podcast or something. Uh, and they were saying how there were the board of elders or people around that knew what was going on. And they're like, this has got to stop. Like, we can't keep him in this position and other people are like yeah but look he's reaching hollywood he's doing this and it's like it doesn't matter because it's gonna fall and when you fall you fall hard if you're up that high yeah right and so now it's just a big joke right and even justin bieber was kind of like i don't yeah we were not that close you know (laughs) right no it's a complete joke and and the thing is And here's the frustrating part. When we try and bring attention to that, when we try and say, look, this is a problem. We want to fix it. The church should repent. The church should rethink how it does things. All of a sudden, we're the heretic, right? We're divisive. We're problematic. And so it just continue every day. Unfortunately, so many of us just get our point proven. 
that the evangelical church does not want to change. The evangelical church is not concerned about women. The evangelical church is not concerned about actually loving their neighbor well. The evangelical church is primarily concerned about power, about political power, about resisting tyranny. You know, that's a big thing in the States, you know, not wearing masks as, as Christians or not, not getting vaccinated. I mean, just the other day, this is literally like breaking news as of this recording. A very well-known pastor, John Hagee, who's down in Texas, um, he runs a 17,000-person megachurch. They hosted a big, I think it's called a, 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 a Awakened Faith or Awakened America conference on, on last Saturday where they had people like Alex freaking Jones, who if you don't know who Alex Jones is, to put it in perspective for you, he just got found guilty of defamation during the Sandy Hook shooting. So the Sandy Hook shooting, for those of you who don't know, was when unfortunately someone went into a, an elementary school and, and, and committed a mass shooting and killed. It was terrible. It's a horrible thing. Alex Jones. It was like during, kindergarteners, right? Yeah, it honestly was one of the most tragic things I've ever witnessed. I mean, oh President God. Obama was crying when he talked about it. that's how impactful it was and how evil it was, right? Alex Jones was telling his listeners at the time that it, it was a white flag, which means it wasn't real. It was a hoax. It was staged. That's what he was doing. And he was found guilty recently, like, like a week ago of defamation. He lost his suit because he was sued. That man was in John Hagee's church telling people how Satan's in the government and how revelations unfolding in front of their eyes. And that that's not even the tip of the iceberg. Then the, then the, the crowd starts chanting, let's go Brandon, which again, for those of you who don't know, that's a slogan that was that, that happened. It's a long story how it happened, but essentially um, it really means F Biden. That, that That's what it means. It got picked up and it became viral. So this church crowd is chanting F the sitting president of the U.S. with Alex Jones there, with all kinds of other crazy people there. That's what we're talking about. And what will happen is nothing. Nothing. John Hagee will, will preach sex Sunday. There will be no big articles written about it. People who are evangelical leaders like Franklin Graham will say nothing. They will say nothing. So we see this every day. We see new videos, new things, new nonsense. And we go, hello, this is inside the white evangelical church. And when we try and tell you we care about the church and we want to see it do better, and this is hurting the church, you tell us that we're the problem. And yeah. that's why all, so many of us say, we're out, we're out, I'm out. I want nothing to do with it. Count me out. It's a circus. I, you know, I had to Google that. Let's go, Brandon. I was like, what are people talking about? I feel like I'm so out of the loop. But yes. um, I think actually that Julie Royce, um, she's the journalist who keeps yeah. outing all the Christians. She's great. I love Julie. She posted that, the the article about John Hagee. And I was like, what? It's wild. What? It's wild. And yeah. then somebody made a comment and they're like, oh, Julie, you're, I don't know. They were calling her uh, just being really rude to her and saying she's doing evil things. Of course and, they were. Um, She's not doing evil things. She's amazing. Right. And right. I admire her. So imagine being called evil for just saying what actually happened. Like, hey, guys, a mega church pastor hosted this event where this happened. And they go, you're evil for saying that. It's like, I'm, I'm just reporting what actually happened. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Well, you know, it's it's funny. I, I really think God is moving in north america right now like it's not just the states it is canada too um although i think it it is like america because it's so like the christian nationalism is about america like we don't kind of do that stuff about canada here we're like well 
yeah, Canada, but whatever. But we're obsessed with the Americans too, right? Right, <laughs> so, right. Um, but we get all our, most of our preachers from you guys. Mm-hmm. And so that's also where it comes up here. But I think the North American church, the church can stand, like the church from what Christ has meant the church to be. That has stood. But the American evangelical church is sitting on sand. Like it's, it's a big joke and it's just, it's got to crumble. And I think this, the pandemic, the election, the pandemic, um, it's just really, I think, showing who's really following the words of Jesus. Yeah. Or it's it's at least, it's at least going like, okay, we're going over here or you're going over here. We don't want to go there. This is like weird territory. Yeah. And it's actually harmful um yeah that's not what we want to be yeah i mean i part of it is american evangelicalism is now exporting itself all over the, the planet that, that that's the reality right i i got a message from someone in australia yesterday hey can we talk about australian nationalism because it's growing here i'm like great now we're exporting this overseas which is oh. no surprise so i think you're right the way i the language i use is the, the 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 church itself, the actual gathering of people, that's been going on for 2,000 plus years. It's never going to stop, okay? But the institutions that we map onto that church, they really come and go. They come and go. The evangelical institution is new as far as an institution goes, and it will change, and it, it, it can go. It can, it can crumble, and that does not mean that, that, that the church is crumbling. And also, it's so arrogant of evangelicals to think that if the evangelical movement crumbles, there goes the gospel, there goes the church. Somehow, like, like, like the Catholic church, the Eastern Orthodox church, mainline Protestant, like they're doing no good. It's just whatever evangelicals are doing is the right thing. It's the only way to do it. So I'm with you 100% where I say that, you know, my hope is to push the church forward, right? That, that's, that's one of our big values as new evangelicals. We want to push things forward. I don't want to see the evangelical church necessarily crumble, but the institutions that are causing so much harm, the culture, the ideology um, of Christian nationalism that is, is now becoming, um, you know, it's just taking over in so many of these spaces. It, uh, it's become, the, the church has become a breeding ground in that sense. That has to go. I mean, that, that's an infection. And we have to clean that out, clean out the wound, clean out the infection as deep as it goes before we can start healing again. And so right now we're kind of in that phase where we're just calling out the infection saying, okay, it's there, it's there, it's there, it's over there. Wow, guys, this infection is pretty widespread. <laughs> Why start talking about it, right? If you want to, you know, start salvaging things. And instead, so far by most, I would say, prominent evangelical leaders, save a few, by most evangelical leaders, the response is, um, you know, here's what's wrong with deconstruction. You just want to send more. This is on you. You're divisive. And it's like, you're just, you're not hearing us. Like you are not hearing us. And it, once again, just kind of proves the point that white evangelicals love to give opinions, love to be the gatekeepers of truth, have very little interest in learning things outside of their own perspective. It's actually, I have some friends who were recently asking me, they were surprised that I, they're like, well, what are you? And I'm like, I don't really know anymore. I said, I said, we were evangelical, but I don't want to be called that. And they're like, right. you're evangelical. Right. I'm like, well, not what you, I don't know. <laughs> not what, what you hear about evangelical. I'm not that. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so they were asking me why, why are there still black people in the church or people of 
like, how can people who are not white go to church? And it was such an interesting question because these are people who are not in church. Um, they grew up Catholic, but, you know, they haven't been practicing for years. And I think they're agnostic atheist. And I didn't even know what, how to answer that because I, I kind of just said like, well, they have their own faith. And I think when you, um, you were speaking to, ah, I'm not very good with names sometimes, but the, the woman who started the black coffee with white friends. Oh yeah. Yeah. And she was saying, cause she's a Christian, but she was saying, sometimes I wonder, are we reading the same Bible? Mm-hmm. Whereas what she's hearing from her white friends is actually harmful. And she's like, but I have the same Bible and I'm like, yeah. Do you know what I'm sorry? I don't even know what I'm trying to say, but no, I, yeah, I, I, I thought it was it. interesting question because people are wondering with the, with the white evangelicals and, and what they're, they're not acknowledging. Right. Yep. Um, how can people who are not white, how can they even be in the same church? It's I mean, hard. a lot aren't. I mean, there's the old adage from, I think, Martin Luther King, that Sunday is America's most segregated hour, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? In a lot of ways. And there's, there's certainly overlap and there's always exceptions, you know, but there's a reason why there, 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 there's a such thing as, as the black church, you know, as, as black denominations, right? Um, and, and one of the reasons for that is because it's funny, a lot of um, a lot of people in the black community who are evangelicals are actually very conservative with their orthodoxy. You know, they they would really agree with their white family, so to speak, as far as orthodox things. But when it comes to social justice, when it comes to racism, when it comes to those issues, they couldn't be farther apart. And that's that's a big problem. And the reality is, a lot of white evangelicals do not want to listen to what they're black evangelical family has to say about racism. They, they, they don't believe that, you know, cops are pulling over black people for no reason. They don't believe the stories. They don't believe it. And what they do is they go, oh, look, Candace Owens doesn't see it that way. There's my proof. You know, right, and, and right. that's an honest truth. They, they don't want to listen. And honestly, what that is, and uh, you know, I'm not sure how your listeners might receive this, but that is supremacy culture. That's what white culture does. It moves into a space, says, here's the truth. Here's how you have to assimilate to our perspective of things. And if your perspective doesn't line up with that, we're not interested in hearing it. We just aren't. And that's part of the the you know, decades old discussion, debate, and issue that I think so many, and I, I don't want to speak on behalf of things. I'm not a black evangelical and I'm, I'm still learning so much myself, but from the people I've talked to and from the books I've read, so many um, black Christians are like, you just don't listen to us. Like you're not, you don't take us seriously. You think that we're making things up. This is a thing. Racism still exists. Discrimination still exists, despite what, 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 what the laws might say. Right. And when you combine that with the, this boogeyman mentality of anything anti-racist, you know, Oh, it's Marxism. It's this, it's that. I think a lot of black Americans are like, I want nothing to do with this Jesus that you claim to be following who won't even take our oppression seriously. Right. Who thinks that we're just making it up, who thinks that we just have to work harder to get ahead. Like, I want nothing to do with that. Um, and so there, there's a lot of layers to that. But I, I, I feel you with that one for sure. I think we're, we're very dismissive. And I I have to acknowledge my own. I was the same. I was like, definitely. I don't see any racism. I don't totally. you know. And <laughs> and until I started opening my ears and listening and reading perspective of people actually going through it. I was like, 
Oh, okay. Right. And when right. I first, I read a book and they were talking about white supremacy, I'm like, but we're not the KKK. Right. Because that's all we think of white supremacy. And so when I started right. understand, like starting to listen and go, oh, this is what people keep talking about. Okay. So I think it's taken us a lot longer to understand, especially if we've been so like for me, I would just listen to whatever, like my dad was saying, because he was listening to all the same conservative media. Right. And they were just saying these things, right? Like it doesn't exist. And these people just want to, you know, they just want to get upset about things and they want to play the victim. And you're like, yep. Yep. okay, but maybe we should listen to the other side too. And I think that's where, um, cause I've been to I've been to some great churches and I've been to some not so great churches. Um, But I found in a lot of the not so great churches, there's a lot of people who are just very, I hate to say simple, but I wish that we would maybe not make learning such a scary thing for people. Like instead of, you know, like philosophy or critical thinking, they're like, oh, no, no, no. You know, right. you can't learn that stuff. Like why? Right. Then I realized I kind of grew up very culty in a sense of yes, you right. want to, you want me to believe this. And if I, if I ask questions or challenge, you just talk at me and you're still, that's you know, right. I, I even learned um, something at Christian university. My professor was Arminian and not Calvinist. And which is a different theological background uh, thinking for, for people. Um I don't even understand it myself. Like I I've heard it my whole life because sure. super Calvinist, but it was like, blah, it's boring. Um, <laughs> so I remember I'd, I was like, Hey dad, this is so interesting. Look what my professor said. He's Arminian. And what do you think? And he got so upset and he was like talking at me like Calvinism is the way to go and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, Oh my goodness. I can't even dialogue with you about this. That's right. And it was like, this is a discussion that's cut off because you want me to only believe what you believe. Yep. Yep. And I think that that's so pervasive in our, in our, a lot of our church, not all, um, just a lot of our churches, we, yep. we've come, we can't discuss these things or it's like, you can't go to, I was scared to go to secular university. Same. I only Same. went to Christian ones, except yep. I went to one college that wasn't Christian, but I was terrified because of what we were told, you know? Yep. yep. I mean, the, the reality is in my view, my perspective, white evangelicals are the most fearful people you know, in, in America. And they love to say, Oh, faith over fear. Oh, I don't need a mask because I, I, I have no fear. They are the most fearful people in America. They really believe. And by they, I mean many, okay. Not every single white evangelical, obviously, right, but right. as a whole, they believe that at any moment, the government is going to come knocking on their door, throw them in prison for being a Christian, take their guns away, take their body. They are ready for it. I, I know I said that earlier, but it's true. They think that at any moment, you know, the government is going to flip a switch and, and, and martial law or, or, you know, whoever, some um, a Muslims going to say, ha ha Sharia law enacted. Like, out of nowhere, you know, like you're all under my control now. <laughs> That's what they really think. That's yeah. what they think at any moment. These liberals are going to come for them. And they live in this constant fear of their freedoms being taken away, which is so, if I may say, damn ironic, because in the history of Christianity, there has never been a more wealthy, privileged, or powerful group of Christians to ever live 
on the face of the stinking planet than white evangelicals in 2020 America. They have the most money. We have our own industries. I mean, literally, we have our own worship industry that brings in hundreds of millions of dollars a year and tops the charts, okay? White evangelicals are the most spoiled Christians to ever walk the planet, and they're also some of the most conspiratorial and also most irrationally fearful. Obviously, Christians over the course of the planet have been fearful for good stinking reason, right? Because governments did want to kill them just for being a Christian, that is not happening in America. In fact, we usually win at the Supreme Court whenever a case of freedom of religion comes up. So this whole idea that we're persecuted, that you know we should be in fear, that the government's coming for us, is manufactured nonsense, intentionally created, in my view, by far-right conservative media to keep political power in America. That's what it really comes down to. Well, and also... Uh- this goes into like <laughs> sexuality if because we were always we were raised under like bill gothard jerry oh Falwell. boy I'm yeah so funny sorry. funsies um <laughs> oh. so and my dad still likes bill gothard and i cringe because i'm like you know he's a pervert and he's right women and right <laughs> anyway um so <laughs> there's so many uh, but under Falwell, you know, we would we would say, and, and I've said the same things because this is how we were taught, like when about LGBTQ community, and I've said the most horrible things to people, and I have a lot of gay friends, and I'm so grateful for their grace because mm. they have really stick stuck with me, and. You know, when people say things and and they're like, well, don't you tell them that that this and that, that they're sinning and blah, 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 because of Romans. And I was just like, okay, you know what? Have you ever sat and cried with your friend? Yep. Because they're like, I, I had one friend say to me, I just want to be, I just always wish to be normal. I would never choose this. And I'm like, for those people who say a lot of shit about it, they really have never talked to anyone fully and listened and and so when people say i can't say anything against the lgbtq community it's like well yeah because we're being assholes about it you know if you disagree with it whatever but don't don't just be so harsh and and rude and and then you're crying persecution because you can't say anything right you're not being persecuted, first of all, because you can't say anything. Second, you're harming people, right? Yes. You're not the one who, who's, who's, whose community is at risk of, of suicide. Yes. They are. Exactly and, right. and yeah, <laughs> you know, I don't really like to get into controversial topics and yet I, I tend to, but. <laughs> it shouldn't be controversial to not dehumanize people. I mean, that's all we're talking about. And this is why dehumanization is so important to me, because the reason that, you know, this issue is so intense in this community is so, um, I think, to me, more beautiful than ever is because I'm realizing how how much evangelical conservatism 
uh, dehumanized them for decades, dehumanized them as the other, made them less than human, made them something in your head. But like you said, when you meet someone in that community and they tell you their story, when they tell you that, yeah, when I, I came out to my youth pastor at age 13, he called me an abomination and showed me the door. That's a true story, by the way. I'm not making that up, yeah. right? You go, holy shit, holy shit. Like, wow, that you're a human being made in the Imago Dei. And the person who who is placed in the position of, as a shepherd of people, I care about you, then called you that and showed you the door. No wonder why you want nothing to do with Christianity. There's actually a great book, if I may be, may be so bold, to recommend. Is it Bridget Rivera? Yes. yes. Heavy Burdens. Great book. Um, Bridget's a good friend. And the book's amazing. And, it, and among many things, one thing she does a great job of, of doing, and the book, by the way, is called Heavy Burdens, Seven Ways LGBTQ Christians Experience Harm in the Church. Two points I want, I want, I want to make very briefly. She makes the, her claim is that in, in church, the only people group who um, are at a higher risk of suicide by staying in evangelical spaces are the, is the queer community. If you're, if you're queer and in church, your risk of suicide goes up, not down. That, that's how harmful we are to, the, to them. And the other part she makes, I think, which is really needs to be understood, is how much um, the white evangelical movement was behind the conspiracy theory that AIDS was only something that affected the queer community yes. and how, how ultimately dehumanizing and really evil we were towards that community while they were being hit with it so heavily. Um, and some of the stories in there just make you cry. They're just so intense and so heartbreaking. And people like Jerry Falwell, people who are hailed as heroes of the moral majority, were on the front lines of that. I mean, saying things I'm not even going to repeat because of how vile and disgusting they were. So I'm with you all the way on this one. You know, we, the church needs to own their shit for this. Like this is not only have, ha, has the church lost that war? Thank God. They, um, they caused that war. <laughs> they created the war. They planted their flag on, 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 on queer exclusion and they have lost because you know why, honestly, they're using the same arguments almost to a T that millions of white racists use to keep black people out of the church. If you right. look at, and I actually have a, there's a sermon online. You can find of Bob Jones who founded the most, one of the most conservative colleges in the U S okay. Mm. Um, you can find his sermon from the sixties where he the one that wanted seg, uh, when, when, when they, he wanted segregation. Yes. Yeah. He, he sued the Supreme court. He sued the IRS up to the Supreme court level because the IRS said, if you don't allow interracial dating, we're going to take away your tax exemption status. He goes, right. Oh, freedom of re you know, religious freedom. I have a right to do this. Sound familiar. And he sued the government. He has a sermon that you can read. It's out there. It's fully transcripted from the sixties of him making quote unquote, the biblical argument that, that, that to be a good biblical Christian and not to cater to the whims of the world is to believe in segregation that black people should stay separate from white people. And he uses the same language we hear now. This is biblical. This is God's truth. Um, anything else is just liberalism. It's the same arguments. So when you start reading, history like that even like this is surface level stuff friends you can find it in a quick google search when you start seeing how it's the same language that people use to dehumanize the black community now being used to dehumanize the queer community it makes it so easy to say nope not going to do it 
I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to fall a victim. I'm not going to fall into the trap of, of using a few specific passages that really have so much behind them that, regarding interpretation to think that the Bible is crystal clear. Because you know why? I'll tell you why. No one in their right mind today says, oh, well, Paul says for slaves to obey their masters. Therefore, slavery is good and legal and should be justified. No one says that anymore, but they used to. They used to. Well, I remember, um, did you ever see the movie Amazing Grace? I have not. Really? Nope. But all the evangelicals saw that. (laughs) this one. 2006, was it? Okay. Uh, Anyways, about William Wilberforce? Sure. Okay, such a good movie. Anyways, (laughs) uh, when Wilberforce was, actually, it was the evangelicals in England um, who came to him because he was in parliament and they said, we need you to fight against slavery. Um, and so he fought for years and years and years to get it abolished. And so it was a lot of Christians as well who were using scripture to justify slavery. And so I remember hearing that and like, that's where we can use scripture to justify a lot of things. Totally. And, and I was talking to my own pastor and I said, you know, I have a hard time reading certain verses now because of how they were used out of context, which is what we do all the time uh, with, you know, how you should be living or, you know, um, I don't know, for example, like I, I have anxiety. Mm. So it was always, um, do not be anxious. Of course, just pray more. And then you feel shame because you're like, well, I'm anxious and God's saying not be anxious. So I feel more anxious Um, and, and things like that. And so we've just, it's hard to look at the Bible sometimes and not see what, what was manipulated against you totally and thrown yeah, at you and just we- like weaponized completely <laughs> yeah, the, and the Bible, you know, that's, that's another topic that we can talk about if you want for a few minutes. Um, sure. The Bible is like, the Bible can be used to say anything you want it to say that you can find a passage to, to, to say whatever you want. And that's why I think a lot of people, don't take so seriously anymore. People who are like, no, no, this is the absolute truth. This interpretation. It's like, well, we've heard this before. It turns out you're on the wrong side of history, you know? Right. Um, and, and, and you can, you can read some of the early uh, slaveholders and how they use the Bible to justify um, the, the black community as being lesser than being not fully human. I mean, there's all kinds of arguments that, that, that they made that were sophisticated. Okay. And, and then honestly, in our day, it was women. That's totally. what we were got, right? We're totally. like a lesser vessel. And yes, totally. <laughs> the Bible can be a weapon for anything. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And that's why, how we approach the Bible matters. And that's also why we owe it to ourselves to do our best to understand the Bible on its own terms and not on ours. And that's hard. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of study. It takes people like, for example, my personal favorite uh, podcast on this is the Bible project. I love them. Um, You know, Tim Mackey does amazing work. Just, you know, putting the Bible in a way that like, yeah, guys, like it turns out the author of Genesis one wasn't really concerned about a physical six day literal creation because, oh, I don't know. He had no context for a scientific worldview. And you're like, oh, OK. And then he ties it back to what else it could mean. So, you know, that kind of stuff's important for me. I think it's a big deal because the Bible hasn't weaponized and a lot of us want nothing to do with it. And I can't blame them. And I still have a hard time reading it. You know, I read it. I'm like, what am I reading? I know that I know I'm not reading this correctly. What do I do? So thank God for a podcast like Bible Project and, 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 and other ones as well that just 
just really helped me understand the Bible in, in what really is an ancient way, which is really a new way for a lot of us. Yeah. Well, for me, I, and people keep mentioning the Bible project. So, um, I should listen to that, but for me, it was the Bible binge podcast. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of them? I've heard and of them. recently, I think it was over the summer they were doing talking about Paul and they said, how do we read Paul when he seems so pro- problematic with the things he says about LGBTQ community, with the things he says about women. And I used to love Paul, you know, and we revere him so much. I think even more than Jesus sometimes, um, where, well, Paul said this, but when they were explaining the context of this one letter that he was writing to this one church during this one time, and they're like, this is what he was meaning. And I was like, oh, that's so helpful because if he's literally not saying women, shut your mouth or whatever. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, then as somebody who's like now finding my own feminist warrior, you know, yeah. evil, liberal, as we were always told. <laughs> you but know it's why? just it's trying you to find that... my humanity, trying to be a person, right? Sorry, go you ahead. Know, I was just gonna make a joke and say, you went to that secular college and here you are, you know, a full feminist. So <laughs> actually it was after my Christian university <laughs> and living in Toronto. Um, and then just, yeah, Trump. Uh. Yeah, no, I feel that. <laughs> well, you're absolutely right though. I mean, here's the reality. Even the most conservative, the Bible is absolutely true. And, you know, whatever it says, it means they don't really mean that. They don't mean that because Paul also says, greet each other with, with, with a holy kiss. No one takes that literally in 2021. I never see two grown ass men kissing each other, right? Saying, oh, Paul commands it. Greet each other with a holy kiss. Or for most people, women don't wear actual head coverings in the service. Right now, so there are some churches that do, but most don't. So my point is just to say, even though it sounds really powerful whenever you hear, hey, the Bible's clear, almost no one really even sees it that way as far as how to how to apply what is for today and what is not. We all have different ways of viewing that. That's partly why there are over 400 denominations in the U.S. because they don't see the same book the same way. So the sooner we can realize that, the more we can make space, the more we can say, you know what, we don't agree, but we can we make space for each other in this way? And I think that's really what, what needs to start happening is enough of this fundamentalism of we're right, you're wrong instead it should be well we maybe we need both the perspectives to wrestle through it to see all that we can about this passage and then kind of go from there and it's so freeing you know because well i see that you have tattoos i have tattoos too and and when we got our ears pierced it was like but that's a sign of you know your butt like as a slave and you know all this stuff that we were thrown at as as kids and then when i got my first tattoo i was in my 20s but my family was like, oh, I should not defile your body. I mean, it wasn't as intense as that, but they weren't very pleased. Yes. But it's just like chill, you know, I mean, right, <laughs> right. it's fine. And, and, and like I've heard other people say, well, you know, if you're if you smoke, um, if you overeat, if you do this, you're also defiling your body. So kind of where we all do something that's not helpful for our bodies you know totally 100%. so yeah and i actually there's um there's a youtube channel these two women in in texas and they have a their own women's ministry but they're against like women be serving or sorry women leadership 
Mm. um, which is how I grew up too. And I'm sure that's how you grew up too. Yes, very much. Um, So they're talking about women, like be submissive and no serving, no leaders in the church. But then I guess in that same book of the Bible, it says you should not braid your hair. And so when people watch these videos and comment, and they're literally, the girl has her hair braided and she's saying these things. They're like, okay, I guess you take this verse, but you won't take this verse because you're braiding your hair. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. No, and that's 100%. so helpful, right? Because right. when I, because I was also under that same teaching and you're like, you're, you can braid your hair. It's fine. But this verse says this. So yep. yeah, I think that's very interesting. Um, <laughs> we still have a little bit more time if that's okay. Sure. Um, I just want to ask you, So as we grew up with, this is the truth. And I remember hearing different apologists say like, you know, that whole thing where a pilot asks, what is truth? And then like, well, pilot (laughs) didn't know. Did you hear that same question too? Like, I think Ravi used to say that all the time. I was going to say that, that sounds like a Ravi thing. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But then sometimes how do we know if, and I think this is where I'm having a hard time because I was so entrenched in that right? This is the Bible says this and it's true. And this is how we're interpreting it. And now it's like, well, what is truth kind of, yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of like, so here's the thing. Okay. And again, I want to emphasize, I'm no expert on this. This is just my opinion. First off, we have to understand that the question of what is true and not is an age old question that humans have been wrestling through forever. All right. I think it's also important to realize our cultural moment. We're coming out of the modern moment, the modernism, which said we can definitely know absolute truth beyond a shadow of a doubt. We're coming out of the enlightenment. We're coming out of this whole different way of viewing the world, the scientific method exploding on the scene. These are newer things in the grand scheme of history. All right. So I think a lot of us are, I think what really a lot of us are pushing back against is more of modernism than really even the Bible or, or, or the idea of truth. I think a lot, what a lot of us are saying is, well, maybe you thought that you could know absolute truth, but it's, it's maybe we, we can't always know in every single circumstance, everything that is absolutely true. So let, let, let's apply that. I'll apply that one to the Bible. Here's the reality. This is just, this, this is a fact. Okay. Like we have evidence of this. We don't have any, of the autographs of the New Testament. What that means is the 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 actual manuscripts that were written by St. Paul and by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we don't have them. They don't exist. The originals. Now we have a we have a lot of versions of, of these scrolls that were getting passed around. They weren't the original though, and we have a lot of them. So the the New Testament is actually the most well-sourced document in antiquity. So we actually have tons of them, which is great. And I think that in that way, that they are reliable texts. Okay. But to make it seem like, oh, we can a hundred percent prove in a scientific sense, the resurrection actually happened. I think is a fool's errand. I think it is. I understand how someone might say, you know what, dude, I know this book says this, but I, I just can't see it. I said, oh, I understand. I mean, I am claiming after all that a man who was fully God died and then rose again from the dead and then ascended to heaven. Right. And is one day coming back in bodily form. I understand how that might not fit a scientific category. Okay. And I think I'm just kind of done trying to make people convinced of that. Uh, in in that way, like I'm, I'm done trying to argue my way in. Right. However, 
for those of us who do believe this, I, I, I would say, I think Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that, that, that their gospel accounts are trustworthy and what they're trying to communicate to us. Um, I would say, well, what did Jesus teach and how do we live that out? And how do we invite people into this better way of being a human being, like a better way of living the human life? Um, and what that means for here and now, and also potentially for a future, which let's be honest, a lot of us, no one knows on the other side of, of death, what, what, it, what it looks like, you know, we have our ideas, we have our, you know, we have our interpretations of the Bible, but it's, it's all been hotly debated throughout Christian history. This is not new. It's right. not like all of a sudden us, us progressives came along and said, Oh, look guys, maybe hell isn't literal. It's like, no, people have thought that before. Okay. So I think it's important to realize that I don't think, and, and let's take the Gospels, for example, and I'm really sourcing from Bible Project here. So none of this is going to sound new to those of those those of you who listen to them. But, you know, something that, that Tim Mackey, who's the main host of the show, always says is that the Bible is not always claiming to be camcorder footage. It's not claiming to be like, hey, guys, here's what, here's what literally happened as I recorded it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all telling their version of the same experience with their own focuses. And we do this in human history. You know, if, if me and my wife, if you ask my wife and I, how did you guys meet? I would tell you a different version than her version, right? And some of the facts might not, might not even like totally line up 100%. But that isn't the point. The point is that we're trying to communicate how, how meeting each other impacted our life forever. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are doing the same exact thing. They're, they're, they're writing this story of how meeting this Jesus person changed everything for them. And they're, they have different focuses on what they're trying to highlight. Matthew's more focused on, on, the, on, the, on the Jews and maybe Luke's more focused on the Gentiles, et cetera. And so when certain things don't match up, like for example, a common thing is, um, we, uh, I think it's in Luke, the words of Jesus on the cross are different in different gospels. It's like, okay, so is that a problem? Well, it's a problem if our approach to scripture is this has to scientifically and factually match up, then yeah, that's a problem. But if, 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 if the approach is, well, what's Luke trying to show me here? Or what's Matthew trying to show me here? And I'm not, I'm not sure which is which and which gospels they are. It's, it's, I'm blanking at the moment. But the point is, is that that isn't their point. Their point isn't maybe, okay, here's the exact words. The point is, this is what happened. This is how it impacted me. This is the emphasis I'm trying to, essentially stylize the story. And that's just a reality. That just is a thing. But again, what that does is that tells us that instead of us coming to the Bible with our lens, right, with our context and saying, okay, Bible, conform to what I think you should be, we have to come to the Bible and let it speak on its own terms. Let it be what it is. And then we can wrestle with all of that. John Walton, who's a great scholar, says the Bible was written for us, but not to us. And that's important to recognize. It was not written to a 21st century Western context. It just wasn't. So the sooner we can realize that, the sooner we can let the Bible speak on its own terms, and then we can wrestle with it. So I think that's helped me to really understand, like, when I come to the Bible, and I've been taught it's a moral handbook, it's an absolute truth book. I don't think the Bible is claiming to be any of those things primarily. It's really a story, and it spans literary genres it spans you know a thousand years or so some of the bible is poems some of it is allegories some of it's parables some of it's in our letters so we have to take it on it on, on its own context instead of mm -hmm. thinking that oh it's just a moral handbook if i randomly flip to a certain page there it is that's my word from god that's just not how the bible is designed to work well actually uh, i got two things um 
I just want to say. I know I, I send a lot at you. Sorry. No, that's great. Um, <laughs> well, if if they did say, if Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John said the exact same thing, I don't think it could actually be trustworthy because it's like when you go, you listen to witness testimony for a criminal case, right? Yeah. And their their story is exactly the same. And then they're like, well, they they decided to tell this story. But yes. if, they're, if their stories are different, they're like, well, they're saying it from how they saw it in their right. lenses right yep um so yeah i think that that's um i've heard that before and i think that's very helpful too totally also it's so interesting when you say that because we we have done that and we we people still do that where we take i remember when the prayer of jabez was a huge thing where we took that one prayer what was it for prosperity or something and it became oh, sure. this huge thing. Like I got the keychain, and I was praying the prayer because I wanted a blessed <sighs> life. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, we take Jeremiah 29, 11, sure. um, yeah. as our own and all these things. And it's like, and I would actually pray these and like expect God to give me, I went to a prosperity church for about two years. So mm. during that time, you know, you get a lot of weird teaching. <laughs> yes. Yes. But you, you kind of will take that and say, well, this is for me. Yeah. And it's literally not because it was for whoever it was written for at the time. And that's what happened to them. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, not, not to be that person, but it's kind of like we're colonizing the Bible, right? Oh, this must be for me. I'll just take whatever I want. This is Jewish literature for the Jewish people, but no, it applies to me now. It's like, Okay, eh, the world's not about you and your perspective. Why don't you try and understand the Bible and what it's trying to tell a different people group, you know, and just observe for a second without thinking that this is all about you. That's so helpful. I think, yeah, because I grew up in that. It was, it, it's perfect as it is. And there might be a, a comma out of place or an and, <laughs> but basically, and it, it always kind of bothered me when people would ask me, well, how can it, all these translations and I'm like I don't know right but it's true and it's right. not you know it's fa it's not it's infallible and all right. these things but right. I think it's easier to deal with and just kind of see it as what you're saying right and then it's yeah. it's less intense too it's like oh I don't have to really keep at this and and fight with people. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. And the I don't Bible, even know what I'm talking about anyway. <laughs> I mean, the Bible was written by humans. Hate to break, hate to, hate to burst people's bubbles, but it wasn't beamed down from from God's pen to you know our eyeballs. It just wasn't. Human beings <laughs> wrote it. We trust that that God worked through it. We trust that it's inspired. That that it's 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 divine. But my goodness, let's stop pretending like like you know no no no. God themselves wrote this book. It's like. Ugh. Paul wrote these letters. We think Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John wrote these. We, we're not sure who wrote Hebrews. That's okay. These things can be intention. This can be a handshake. <laughs> it doesn't have to be either or. It can be a both and thing. But that's messy. It doesn't fit into categories. It's more complicated, et cetera. Awesome. Well, Tim, oh, this has been so much fun. I, yes. I really appreciate this. I love these kind of chats. Um, and I think... I, I love listening to your podcast. And honestly, you have such a great voice. It's really nice to listen to, too. <laughs> Thank you. That, is, that means a lot. I've been told that. Of course, you always hate hearing your own voice. You know, I'm sure like you, I critique myself all the time. I said this too much, said that too much. But I do appreciate the kind of words. It is helpful. I actually like listening to myself. I'll listen to myself over oh, and over. Is that <laughs> good for you. Hey, what a gift. Is that narcissist? I don't know. <laughs> no, 
no, no, no, no. I'm, listen, I'm, I'm a drummer and I have a lot of great recordings. And I love listening back to them, right? It's like, okay, I put work in this and it sounds great. So I yeah. totally understand that. Awesome. Um, how can people, well, yeah. How can people reach you? Where, what are all your, the social? Oh yeah. Uh, we're on Instagram at the new evangelicals. We're on Twitter at new evangelicals, no E because someone else has that name already. Um, we're on podcast, uh, the new evangelicals podcast. We have a website called the new evangelicals.com. You can sign up for free for a map and see who's in your area and connect with someone for a cup of coffee. If you want. Yeah. Ooh. Totally free resource. We have over 1300 people on the map worldwide and growing. Um, but you know, to kind of get, um, if you're interested to kind of see what we do, Instagram is the best place to probably start. Everything is really on there. And then we have all our little tentacles in different parts, parts of the internet. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you. I appreciate all that you do. And I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. If you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter at Steph underscore Ann underscore web, Instagram, Stephanie underscore Ann underscore web, Facebook, Stephanie Ann web, and my website is stephanieannweb.com where you can find my podcast episodes for the Stuff Up podcast and check out my blog. And you can buy my children's book called What Should Dragon Do? A story about living together with other people, how to handle the little situations, and how to live together with kindness. I appreciate you all. You are amazing. Thank you so much for listening. Now go out there and make it a great day. Bye!